This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. In this episode, I chat with three phenomenal guests, TJ Varian, Connie Hamilton, and Joseph Jones, all who have experience as building and district school leaders. They have authored or co-authored nine books, including their most recent publication with Corwin Press, Seven Mind Shifts for School Leaders. TJ Vary is the Assistant Superintendent of Secondary Schools and District Operations in the Applequinamink School District in Delaware. He also is a co-author on five books for school leaders, including two Corwin books, Passionate Leadership and Seven Mind Shifts for School Leaders. You can find his blogs, podcasts, and other work at theschoolhouse302.com. Connie Hamilton served the field of education as a teacher, instructional coach, principal, and district leader. She's the author or co-author of four books, including Seven Mind Shifts for School Leaders. Find out more about Connie's work at www.ConnieHamilton.net. Joseph Jones is the superintendent of schools in the Newcastle County Vocational Technical School District. He is the co-author on five books for school leaders, including two Corwin books, Passionate Leadership and you guessed it, Seven Mind Shifts for School Leaders. You can learn more about his work at theschoolhouse302.com. During our conversation, we discussed the reality that often is leading an organization, that we are firefighters. So often are we consumed with the day-to-day issues that we are unable to recognize and address the root causes that continue to feed into them. It is for this reason that these amazing leaders identified seven mind shifts to help us approach education from a different perspective. Using examples from businesses and organizations from various markets, they challenge leaders to shift their mindsets so they can improve their outcomes. Are you ready to make some shifts in your own space? Then let's go. Hello and welcome back to the Counter Narrative Podcast. Really excited to have you here. And I am looking forward uh, to this conversation. I mean, I I was originally looking forward uh, to connecting with these amazing authors. I saw the title of their book and it is right up my alley, Seven Mind Shifts for School Leaders, Finding New Ways to Think About Old Problems. And I was like, that is exactly, you know, the work that we are trying to do to push back on narratives, to have these new conversations to challenge ideas so that way we could talk about education in a different way. And then I learned that they were just hanging out in Hammond, not only where I grew up, but where I started my teaching career and where my wife currently is. So I'm going to turn it over. Welcome to the show, guys. How are are you feeling this evening? Couldn't be better. Thanks for having us. Feeling great. Charles, thank you so much for having us on the show. Yeah, very excited to be here. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, We're going to just go around the horn really quick. If you could tell us just a little bit about who you are, what your role is in education, you know, kind of what your pathway was to get there. And one of the things I always ask guests, and it's always a fun thing, uh, you know, something about you that maybe not a lot of people know. So uh, Connie, we'll we'll kick it off to you. Just on my list here, I have Connie, Joe, and then TJ. So I'll just go in that order uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into the conversation. 
All right. Well, my education experience, I was a teacher. I started off at the elementary level. Then I was a middle school teacher, middle school principal, elementary principal, curriculum director. And now I am consulting and kind of getting back into what I got into education for in the beginning is teaching. But now my audience is just adults and other teachers. So I'm really just living my best life here. And what do other people not know about me? Um, I don't, I, I guess I would say like, I have this really acute interest in tattoos. I don't have any tattoos, but I'm kind of just really interested in ink. But I feel like I'm such an, a perfectionist that I wouldn't, I can't think of anything that I would want on my body forever. I was going to say, be careful with that. I mean, once you get your first tattoo, then you're going to be like, oh, I want another. And another, and mm-hmm. another, and then you know, before you know it, you'll be covered in tattoos. Yeah, I don't have one yet. I don't know if I ever will, but I'm. I feel like if there's any imperfections, if the line was just a little jagged, I'd stare at it every day. There, I, I completely understand. Uh, so, thank you for that, uh, Joe. What about you, sir? So, I'll, I'll get going, Charles. But first, um, I think the remedy for that, Connie, is just get it somewhere where you couldn't see it. And I think you'd be okay, like What's on your the back point? or something. And then you'd never know. What's the point of that? <laughs> so um, fascinating. Um, I did not know about that about Connie. So that's intriguing. Um, and I will say I started my high school or my education career in high school in the district that I grew up in. And then I became an assistant principal in that same district And during a class I was in for my doctorate, I met the superintendent of the district I'm currently in and made a lateral move from AP to AP. Huge decision because I love the district that I grew up in, that I was a part of, but he and I really connected. From there, I became a principal, and then I was the director of assessment and accountability for roughly seven years, and now I'm currently the superintendent of that district, Newcastle County Votech, which is has been a difficult job. We just wrapped up year three, um, but really rewarding, and I truly love it. And so I, I love that. I would say something that I'll, I'll keep it with education. Charles, knowing where I am now and something I've really opened up to my own students about is I really struggle through school up until my junior year. And it was very difficult for me. I did not find it enjoyable. Everything was challenging. And, you know, now I've kind of uncovered some reasons why. And then some something clicked. I had a couple teachers really invest in me as a, a young person. And that's changed the trajectory of my life. So I would say, you know, a lot of times they think your superintendent school was easy. You love school. That wasn't the case. And I try now to really connect with kids that have are, you know, experiencing some of those same issues and same struggles. TJ, I, I love, uh, I'm sorry, Joseph, I, I love that idea that, uh, you know, it's like you're trying to create the thing that you wish that you would have had uh, all along, right? And so help, having that shape your approach, uh, and, I, and I'm sure it, it, it's making a world of a difference uh, for the students within your district. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so TJ, we're going to kick it over to you, sir. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm a, an assistant superintendent right now in a, in a comprehensive school district with more than 12,000 students in it. We're one of the fastest growing school districts, I would like to say, in America with uh, 500 plus kids each year coming into our district. So that's my, my, my current role in education. I was a principal. I was an assistant principal. I was a teacher. Um, at the middle and high school levels. And um, I would say the, something that folks don't know about me, I don't even know if Connie and Joe know this, but I'm a DYI TV show junkie. I'm not a DYI junkie. I'm not doing it myself. Uh, but I like watching other people sh- demonstrate how you can do it yourself. Like home makeovers? Yeah, home makeovers. It doesn't matter. It could be hot rods. Uh, I like anything that has to do with a cooking show, cooking contests, that kind of thing where people are actually doing stuff. It's about the only TV that I watch. Do you ever watch tattoo shows? 
Yeah, I can get into a tattoo show as well. So why don't I pick out a tattoo for you next time I'm uh, binge watching a tattoo do do it yourself type of show. <laughs> I was going to say you guys could sit down and binge Ink Masters, you know. I've, I've seen them all. <laughs> well, see, you could walk them through it. TJ, you could practice on Connie. No, don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you so much uh, for sharing. I, I'm really excited to to get to know you guys a, a little bit better. Uh, well, I should say in period because I've never connected with you before. Uh, and, you know, kind of interestingly enough, uh, most of my educate, my students always find it interesting. So I have tattoos um, on my, my arms, my chest, my back. So that one I kind of forget about uh, to Joseph's uh, point. Uh, so I, I have plenty of tattoos and one of my daughters just turned 20 and that is what she wanted for her birthday so she went and she got her first two as well um so you know there's something there and uh none of them are diy just so you know (laughs) so um so the three of you you got together uh you you wrote a book uh and I'm, i'm really interested in diving into this book and to learning a little bit more about it so can you, first of all, as, as we launch this conversation, can you tell me a little bit more about the book, maybe why you wrote it, um, you know, and, and the purpose behind it? What, what was your intention, uh, you know, when this is in the hands of its readers? What, what are you hoping to accomplish? TJ, that's you. Sure thing. I, I love to take that question and then let Connie and Joe fill in the, um, the blanks. The whole premise about the book's title is Seven Mind Shifts for School Leaders because we landed on seven models for thinking differently about problems. It's not a solution book. It's a thinking book. So if you think about something like a SWOT analysis and the way that helps your brain to analyze a problem or analyze a situation, we're posing seven new models for thinking differently. The original title of the book that we that we found was a little misleading and and needed more explanation in the book was leading leading with a crisis mindset. And the premise is that we get involved in urgent work that we consider to be a crisis of the day, but the perennial problems, the problems that we haven't solved in education, um, those things that are important, that are persistent, that are also urgent, We don't treat those like crises. We go day in and day out with things like third grade reading scores or eighth grade math scores. Or right now, we could think about teacher retention and the teacher shortage, and we do not treat those as crises. And so the book runs readers through a way that they can approach these big problems as the crisis that they are to try to solve them or at least try to do something differently. And it was born from COVID. uh, And I think that's a really important point that we solved problems quickly during COVID, big problems, problems that we've always had, that we allowed to persist. And we solved them with what we call a crisis mindset. And so that's where the book was born. It's not a COVID book. Um, it's not a solution book. It's a book about thinking about our problems differently. You know, it, it's it's fascinating how many things came out of, you know, the pandemic and, you know, this idea about us approaching things a little bit differently. Um, you know, the most of, I mean, this podcast right now that we're on was birthed during that time because, you know, it, it was just an opportunity to to challenge and to push back and have those conversations. So it's it's very interesting, and I, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about what those seven mindsets are, uh, you know, and and how they can be solved. It makes sense, as you said, right? As leaders, we get so caught up on the day to day, and and we're so busy putting out fires, right, <laughs> that we ignore the source of that fire that's sitting on the edge. And if we never address that, well, those daily fires are going to continue to pop up. And we need to shift our approaches that it's just it's it's a simple idea. And yet it is profound because most of us never take this chance to step back and look at that big picture. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, uh, can you run through any of those seven for us? 
Kojo, chapter one, crisis mindset. Yeah, uh, thank you. So, yeah, we can easily do that. And it's a lot of, to what TJ said, just really tackling some problems that we found and we felt like these shifts would solve. So the first is uh, the mental shift. Number one is leading with a crisis mindset. And we also feature, Charles, a lot of stories with this that happened in the business world, some in education and like unconventional ways things were solved. And to TJ's point, we had to frame crisis a little bit because when we first said it, people thought, you know, it was us reacting to crisis like a crisis. And um, we didn't want that to be what we wanted is to capture the genius that is often found when you have no alternative but to move forward and solve a problem. So, you know, the first is leading with a crisis mindset. Then the mental shift two is leading with a battleground mentality. And which was a, a really cool uh, chapter with, and we dig in a little bit into grading and assessment with that. Um, and then that just continues to lead with the beginner's mind. And some were kind of out there too that we we wanted our um, people to recognize, like the octopus approach, and how we can actually really see all the tentacles of an issue. And before we start to try to solve something, that we actually figure out what exactly is the issue kind of like root cause analysis, but what does that look like in real time? Because when you're in the throes of the day and you're running into issues, you don't have time to sit back and figure things out with as much time you would like. So the book really uh, steers people in directions and gives models to help them use day in and day out. Yeah, I think like one of the, one of the things that as we were talking about and collaborating of what are the characteristics that caused schools to really stay focused and avoid this whole like, yeah, we have this COVID thing and it's just going to go away and it'll eventually work itself out and we'll just maintain the status quo until then. But really having this, okay, we have to do something. And it might not work the first time, but we're going to build the plane as we're flying it. And the vision is on finding a solution and working our way collaboratively through that. And to just to continue on with what Joe's sharing is that like one of them is just sort of one of the mind shifts is about sometimes so often we get wrapped up in the problems or the barriers or the obstacles that come into play. And we say, ah, we can't do this because X, Y, Z. And that's not possible because we have contract restrictions or that's not allowable because we have federal guidelines. And when COVID hit, like all of that kind of minimized a bit. And we had this, yes, that's true. And what are we going to do about it? And so one of the one of the aspects or the mind shifts that we really want leaders to embrace moving forward is is to take a acknowledge what is happening, acknowledge the barriers. Like yes, that is a barrier. I recognize it. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand, and I'm also not going to let that barrier stand in my way to a solution. And so we modeled all of these chapters around those mindsets that allow you to overcome barriers. So, you know, one of them is about like a yes and attitude, like, yes, that is true. And here's how we are going to build a system or here's how we're going to solve that problem. Even though two or three or four other problems might emerge in the meantime, we're just gonna continue to embrace those barriers and then really systematically overcome them. I, I love the idea that you're, you're having this shift, I, you know, from like the yes, but mentality to the yes, and. Uh, you know, we, we talk a lot, you know, when uh, we think about what is it? The, the growth mindset, right? The the yet, the power of yet. Uh, so I, I like this idea where you're like, before, that's what we would say. Yes, 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 that's true. But, and now we're talking about, yes, that's true. And how can we actually make this thing happen? And removing, you know, those obstacles or or at least figuring out ways to operate 
you know, around them. And, and, and so I guess my question for you is this, is as we're starting to talk about these mind shifts, mind shifts, sorry, mind shifts for leaders in your work with leaders, uh, whether it was, you know, I, within your own buildings, or I know as example, we were just talking about you, you came, you know, over into the district over here. What, what do you normally hear from leaders? Like, why is maybe that you're saying, Hey guys, that that's not true. I know we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the obstacle mentality. Uh, so I'm just curious where you, when you guys were just like this, I, I, I hear this narrative all the time. This is absolutely not true. We're, we're, we're going to push back on this. Is, is there one that really stands out to you? I think we all three could jump into that one pretty quick. The one I'll say, Charles, that I hear frequently among educators is whether or not a student can achieve certain labels. And you'll hear this, uh, like Pedro Naguero talks about the Purposito syndrome and the poor baby. That's something we're pushing back against, where disadvantaged children, regardless of circumstances, we have to have very high expectations. And I think that's, I bring that up because that's often born from a very good place. People want to help students. They know the disadvantage. It's altruistic. But rather than pushing them, sometimes they make excuses. And I think that's something we try to tackle um, even in this book with certain students that have like interrupted formal education, um, EL students and others. And so how do we approach that? How do we approach it? Maintain the high standards. Do what Connie just mentioned. Put everything out on the table. Don't hide from anything. We tell in the book the story of dominoes when they had to come you know, out and just say, look, we know people don't like our pizza. When they said it tasted like uh, cardboard or their sauce tastes like ketchup, you know, so we use stories like that to show if you own the issue and you really wrap your head around it, you can solve it. And so we try to do that. But I would say I hear that quite a bit in in around the district, around the state, just students really um, coming from disadvantaged barrier, uh, disadvantaged backgrounds and not necessarily always having the highest expectations of those students. I think another important point to make and to point out for your listeners, though, is that when we wrote the book, we made sure that each chapter actually pointed out that flawed thinking. So, I mean, we, we called it flawed thinking and we pointed it out specifically. So you were referring to what we called the yeah, but, which moves to the new thinking, which is the yes and. But even when we, we talked about, like uh, Joe talked about the tentacles of systems thinking, the flawed thinking there is the absence of systems thinking. We like to think that we also coined some terms like whack-a-mole leadership, which is the flawed thinking that you're going to put out every fire when the fire uh, comes about versus having a vision for every single aspect of leading your school. Don't you think every leader can relate to that idea of the whack-a-mole? Like, holy cow, what fire am I going to, what am I going to put out? How am I going to tackle that? And by the end of the day, you walk home feeling like, what did I accomplish today? Uh, yeah. A- yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, TJ. Well, I was going to say it's so true. And then the problem is that people don't have a model to get themselves out of that type of thinking. It's just easy to, to com- continue to operate that way. So what we provide after the flawed thinking is that new mind shift. And every new mind shift after we explain it, we provide a model because that's what leaders need. They need to be able to run through a model. We can't solve pr- the problems that exist in every school district or every school with a book. We know that. But in the the new mind shift for um, what we were just talking about, whack-a-mole, is leading with a disciplined tunnel vision. And we explain that specifically in the book with six key aspects of setting a vision and running all the way through that uh, from core values to KPIs to principles of focus and actually using models to make a change. And hopefully school leaders will be able to actually have that as a practice in terms of using these models with their leadership team um, and doing something different, maybe something that might not work, but certainly something different. 
you know, yeah, there's a certain stigma that comes along with being an administrator. There, a lot of administrators feel like I'm the leader. I need to have all of the answers, and people look to me, and I can't be vulnerable. And just kind of giving them permission to be um, to go back into like one of the things that we really embrace is this idea of looking at things as a novice. And if I didn't have this expertise, how might I be able to see things differently? And I think that one of the things that we really want to see leaders pursuing is this notion of taking a step back, being vulnerable, addressing some of the barriers, making sure that the problem is fully defined, and then using all of that in order to establish a plan. And um, maybe it's not a long-term plan. And, you know, it might just be like, okay, how are we going to get over this hump tomorrow? But eventually, when you continuously do that, it's going to lead to longer-term solutions that are going to assist with some of these problems that have been in our system for far, far too long. I know Joe started to talk about a few of those things like teacher retention and third grade reading scores and also looking at grading practices and equity. Some of these things that we sit back and we say, yeah, yep, that's a problem. And we have strategic plans that are five-year plans to get at it, but there isn't that urgency like there was during the pandemic to say, we don't have five years to tackle this. And that's what we really want to support leaders in moving in that direction to say, this, there are plenty of crises in our field and we need to find ways to address them. Well, you know, as a school leader, I can tell you that not only do I appreciate the idea that you're saying, hey, look, this is an issue with a mindset uh, that we have, right, as leaders. And it's not to point the finger. It's not to cause blame. But this is just where we have found ourselves. As we talked about with the whack-a-mole, right, we, we begin a process of how we're going to be addressing a situation. And then we just kind of find ourselves kind of stuck in a rut. We don't know how to get out of that. Or maybe that was the leadership that was modeled for us. And that's, that's all we know, whatever it may be. So the, I I love the idea that you're saying one, this isn't just an education. Here's, here's examples in the business world outside of education. Uh, So this isn't just for us, but in addition to that, it's the idea to say, well, here's a way to, to get out of that rut. I think a lot of times in education or, or in spaces that I've been in, it's very easy to say, here's what's wrong with what we're doing. And you're just like, uh-huh, but, right? And we don't get that yes and, right? That, how do I fix this? And, and so I'm wondering if we can, you know, and I know we've touched on a few different things uh, and, and I'm sure, you know, I, I you know, we want people to get out there and to pick up the book. So if you're listening to this, if if you haven't already added it to your cart and Amazon, I, I think there's there's a lot of teasers here. Uh, definitely make sure that you do so. Uh, but I'm curious if you could walk us maybe down one of the solutions to say, hey, this is a this is a problem. And I, I don't know if you want to talk about the discipline uh, tunnel vision, um, but to say, how do we do this? Because I know there are people listening right now who are saying, you know, Joe, Connie, TJ, I understand. I, I agree. I'm in that position. I'm recognizing that I need to make these shifts, but I just don't know how. Do you have any practical advice? And maybe it's not something that you, you know, that's in the book right now, but just do you have any practical advice that they can say, hey, that is something, you know, whether school starts for them, you know, the day after listening to this, uh, whether it started a week before what can I do as a leader to start shifting my mindset? Joe, do you want to tackle that one? Sure, I can sure. jump in and then um, you guys can add on. I think that's the million-dollar question, right, Charles? Like, well, what do you do? So in what well, we tried to really come up with just as a team is what are people facing and then what can we do? And, and we would be the first to tell you that this isn't a solution book, 
that we're not looking to tell people, hey, do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to get fixed. And we don't do that, even though I think in education, we tend to jump to those solutions very fast. We wanted to pull back from that because every situation is different. Everything is nuanced. So how can we better prepare? And what we try to just provide people with are new mental shifts. So kind of like where we were stuck mentally, and then how do we get unstuck? And so if we want to lead with a crisis mindset, we start defining that. And so some of the easy recommendations we would tell people right off the bat is, what are those issues that you're facing that are important, urgent, and persistent? So if they hit those three criteria, now let's move forward. Because as Connie was saying, it's so easy to go through a day in school, do a ton, be exhaustive, be exhausted, put a ton of fires out, but not work any closer toward the ultimate goals. So we try to define what is the crisis so that a team could wrap their head around. And I would say that was where we would tell people to start defining what are those things you're battling with in your school, in your district that are important, urgent, and persistent. And if they hit all of those three criteria, that's what the whole team now needs to sit around a table and work to fix with as much energy, which is much passion and as much know-how as possible. And then kind of what does our, what does our leadership experience and training, where does that lead us? And then how do we make a shift beyond, yeah, I have this experience and this is how I know how to solve problem X, Y, Z. But when you come across a problem that is perpetual, it's perennial, it's, it keeps coming around and we can't seem to solve it. What's a way that we can tackle that issue in a different way? So for example, some of the times, you know, we, leaders tend to have a lot of experience. We have a lot of training. We, we look at how to be effective leaders, but Sometimes what we need to do is really look at that from a novice perspective and looking at the beginner's eyes. So, you know, take, for example, Sarah Blakely. She's the designer of um, the whole notion of the. um, Yes, thanks. Yes, thanks. So, you know, every woman in the world. But when she came into looking at, hey, there's got to be a way for me as a woman There's got to be a way that I can look good in my dress and, you know, tuck all of my little nooks and crannies in. And she was really looking for a product that didn't exist. And so as an inexperienced entrepreneur, she went through this whole process of trying to figure out how she might be able to keep her little figure in order and not be crazy hot and be able to have her little toes sticking out and wear great sandals and so forth. And it really was her experience as a consumer, as a, as a person who was looking for a product as a novice, not an experienced producer or manufacturer of nylons or pantyhose, whatever you want to call them. And this novice perspective outplayed all of these experts who had been in the field for years and years and years. And having this mindset of, I know how to do it. We know what works. We know what women want. And she comes into this perspective of, yeah, maybe you don't. Here's here's a novice. I might not know everything about manufacturing, but here's this different perspective. And so when we look at how that applies to leaders, many times we rely on our background and our training and what it is that we know. And sometimes we just need to take a step back to say, what if I didn't know all of that? And I was just looking at this problem as a novice. And I'm not looking at what does research say and what does my experience say and what worked in my neighboring school district, but just what does the average person take a peek at this and see? And through that lens of a beginner's perspective, you can see things that sometimes your expert lens provides a blind sight, a, a blind spot for. 
And so that shift of going at looking at things as if it were brand new and that you don't have any experience with can many times reveal what is really obvious to a novice. So it's that kind of perspective of how can we shift the way that we perceive problems that help us to better define them, which then ultimately leads to better solutions. Connie, I find it fascinating that you mentioned, and I know this is, you know, kind of the a reiteration, you know, of, of a response from earlier, you know, this, this novice mindset or perspective. Um, you know, I, I shared recently that I just shifted. I, I just spent the last eight years serving as a principal and I shifted over. Uh, I am now an AP within my district. So I, I jumped into the charter realm. I was there for 10 years and I jumped back in. And so now I'm back into the district. And it's it's fascinating, I think, to be in this new role because, yes, I bring with me all the expertise and, and, and you know, the experience and the, the knowledge and the know-how of running a school, but being in a new space and being in a new role, I'm looking at things through a very novice, right, type of lens. And so as things are happening, and, I, and I'm trying to do so intentionally, you know, I, I, I told the staff that I don't want to just come in and say, well, this is how we're going to do things. Uh, you know, this is how I always did things. But it was, how do I look at this through the eyes of almost of an outsider? Um, and I know having the conversations with the principal in the school, he says, you know, you're seeing things that we are so close to the problem. We're so familiar with the problem, you know, that we we've forgotten or that we we've overlooked because we're just so accustomed. So for those of you listening right now, I, I say this because if you're like, I, I don't know, like, how does this work? Not only did we give an example right from Spanx, which, you know, I, I'm sure, as you said, right, there's a lot of people who appreciate that intervention. Um, both males and females, I'm sure. Uh, you know, it's this idea that, you know, we could apply that to the school leadership and I myself am doing that. So I, I appreciate that that concept and that mind shift for you bringing that up. Yeah. And we don't, we don't want you to have to hire somebody new in order to have that perspective. And so the idea is even if you've been in a district for a while to recognize that you might have some comfort and kind of to use your comparison there, Charles, is if you're so close to it that you can't actually see it, if you can purposefully and mindfully take a step back and look at it through the lens of a beginner's mind, then you might be able to have more success in defining the problem and and finding a a good solution. So I I also want to say a thank you, and, and I have a question on this one, is the idea that in I know I asked the question and you're like, Charles, we've already told you this is not a solution book. Uh, and so, you know, in, in much of the work that I do, uh, because I, I've been privileged to be able to, you know, go around and have conversations. And I talk a lot about equity and leadership. And it's the same kind of concept, right? It, it's here's a model. Here's a framework that you can use. But much of the things that we do in education or the things that are really important, not the little fires, you know, there isn't a step one, two, three, because it's unique to your situation. It's unique to the the, the issue that's happening. So I, I'm wondering in the work that you've been doing, and, and here's my question for it, is when people, I guess one, do you often experience kind of some pushback? Like, that's great. I, I'm glad you gave us a model, but you know, we're looking for these concrete steps. And how do you normally approach that with individuals um, who are looking to be given a solution and who are not really open to saying, yes, I, I have to go through this whole shift. I have to adopt this whole new model. You know, I just, just tell me what to do. What, what is your typical response to the, the people who have those ideas? I think the point there, Charles, is I think we would we would all three agree because it's kind of what we've been talking about recently and what what really gave us the I would say the inspiration to write the book is is we need to think differently. So 
yes, you maybe want some steps. And I hear that, right? Even the publishers want a how-to book for school leaders. But what we're proposing is that we need to think differently. And so there are models for thinking. I brought it up before, SWOT. If you've ever used a SWOT analysis, we do SWOT analysis all the time with leaders on their professional learning communities. And when we do that and we use that model, things come up that wouldn't have otherwise come up if we didn't use a model for thinking differently about our professional learning communities. And that's only one example. Right. So leaders may want a step by step, but the steps don't come until we think differently about the problem. And that's where we need to start, because if we apply, as you know, if we apply the same old thinking that got us into this problem, um, it's going to persist. And that's a basic premise from the book as well. Yeah, and Charles, I would I would add, think about dieting. You know, how many diets out there? I love Ken Blanchard when he said, you know, the diet that works is just the one you stick to. You know, so often people go on diets and then they just gain the weight back and more. And it's because we didn't learn. We didn't learn about wellness. We didn't learn about nutrition. And sometimes it's not the eating that's the issue. It could be an emotional issue we're dealing with. And that's causing some of our frustration. So I think we just got to also sometimes look at human nature. And I think we want those solutions because we're eager to fix the problem, especially in education. You know, the people I work with, I'm proud of every day and their hearts are in it. And we have to fight sometimes, you know, coming to a a decision too fast if it is a perennial problem, because it may not work if we're not touching on all the areas that's being affected. So, you know, when somebody pushes back and they want that solution, I, I often will bring up things like dieting. And say, listen, you know, the reason it's a multi-billion dollar industry is because we're not getting it right, you know, mentally and physically to begin with. So I think you can sometimes just look back on human nature and help people understand where you're coming from by painting a slightly different picture. Charles, can I can I give your audience a very, very practical tip, a thinking strategy here? Do you mind? No, not at all. That's why we're here. So, so principals and assistant principals, you know, their work is the urgent work, right? That's what happens in schools. They have radios on them, uh, cell phones in their pockets. We know the most important space is the classroom. We're walking to the classroom, the radio goes off, and it diverts our attention away from important work and towards urgent work. That's one thing that we're trying to point out to folks is that we can't get to the important if we're focused on the urgent. And that's why we make a clear distinction between urgent, important, and persistent. But here's the practical strategy. It's a thinking model. You're a principal, you're an assistant principal, and that call comes over the walkie. The new thinking, instead of immediately going to the walkie and trying to attack that problem and solve it right away, the new thinking strategy is this. You ask yourself first, does this problem need to be solved right now? And the second question is, does this problem need to be solved by me? And most often, the answer to both of those questions is no which means you keep walking and you get to the classroom, you delegate that to somebody, and those problems start to go to people other than the principals and assistant principals who can help to get the urgent work covered so that our leaders can do important work. And it's it's the case in every school we visit. Um, it's not easy. By no means do we want to uh, paint the picture that we think this is easy, But just by reframing our thinking when that walkie goes off, we can start to do things differently in our schools. Just one practical example. TJ, no, I I love that example. And and I want to continue it if you don't if you don't mind, because I I, you know, we on the show, we we talk a lot about pushing back and, you know, we, we step into spaces of being uncomfortable. And I would challenge Anybody who's listening to this right now, that if you were that leader, and, and I and I speak from a place of personal experience where that radio goes off, and to answer that other question that TJ posed is that one, does it have to be done right now? But the second question is, do am I the one who has to do it? 
And if you say yes to that, and it's always a yes, then my question to you is why? Why have you not built the systems within your space for distributive leadership that you can rely on other individuals to step in and take care of that to the point where, and, and I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, TJ, but that radio doesn't go off so often or you feel comfortable turning it off when you go into those important spaces because you know when something comes up, as it undoubtedly will, you have empowered and educated and, and equipped those people within your building that they can step in and take care of it so that way you can continue focusing on the important work. Absolutely spot on, Charles. I mean, that's the key to running an effective school. The leadership team, the support staff, and just a team mentality and knowing that it all doesn't fall to the leader. That's impossible. That model that the principal and the assistant principal are going to take care of every problem that arises all day long, it's impossible. It, it's, it's never going to work. So we have to have a team of people. We have to delegate, like you said, and empower others to take charge and take control so that we can continue to do the most important work and solve the bigger issues of the day. And I would say that not only applies to the problems that pop up here and there, that, you know, every leader has had the experience of, I planned this for the day, but then stuff happened and I didn't get anything on my to-do list done. And I think it's also important, and we've had lots and lots of conversations about some of those perennial issues that just linger and linger in education. And earlier, Charles, you you mentioned equity. And if we think about the mind shift that we need to make around equity, the first mind shift is that we need to see that as the crisis that it is. And if we don't perceive equity in our schools as a crisis, then we will never approach solutions with the kind of rigor and intensity that we do for other problems that we perceive as a crisis. If we don't take a peek at how we are willing to be experimental and work outside the outside the box and be flexible and try things that we've never tried before around equity. As you know, we mentioned before, if you do what you've always done, you're going to get what you've always gotten. And so you have this notion of, yeah, we're working really hard to address equity in our school district, but yet there aren't any results. And then also, if we kind of look back at going back to that novice perspective and that beginner's mind is if we approach equity through the lens of the experiences that we have, particularly those of us who have had uh, life experiences that allow us to enjoy privilege, then we aren't going to be able to see things from a different perspective, which is necessary for us to be able to solve those problems. And when you take an issue like equity, it's incredibly complex. There are plenty of tentacles. There are outreaching modifiers that come in and say, and this, and this, and it impacts that and that. And sometimes that's so overwhelming. You try to take one little piece of it, but you aren't really addressing the core of the problem of equity. And then another mind shift is that, that focus of, making sure that we really have the eye on what is it that we want to accomplish and we don't get distracted by all of these other components that come into play. And then you also have the yeah, but as we spoke about before. So yeah, but this and yeah, but it's everywhere and yeah, but it's our community and yeah, but the board and yeah, but we can have excuses until the cows come home. But until we embrace that yes and mind shift, we aren't going to have those solutions. And then finally, that that mind shift of looking at many of the problems that we have in education that continue for years and years and years, there's research out there that tells us what we should be doing. The issue then becomes, do we have the courage to do what the research says that we ought to, ought to be doing? And so those are the mind shifts. I mean, I just went through all of those mind shifts that TJ and Joe have really embraced and 
highlighted as the things that need to happen when leaders approach any problem. Equity is just one example, but there are plenty of issues that require us to look at things from a completely different perspective. Otherwise, those problems are going to be there forever. And Connie, as you as you're pointing out, they they continue to persist, and I I really appreciate you being honest and and open with this. It is, you know, a conversation that has come up many many times on this podcast, and it has been reiterated in a number of different ways. And so I'm I'm glad you're bringing that back up in this idea of you know there, there's a reason why, especially when we're talking about say equity, you know, specifically you know, there, there's a reason why we're still having these conversations, despite all of the so-called reform, which I've always just said is just simple repackaging. Mm-hmm. But now we're starting to get into the why, right? Well, if if we're not shifting the way we think about it, and we're so focused on putting out the fires and all of the other little uh, urgent issues, not the important issues, then we're never really going to make any uh, actual progress. Uh, so it, it, it's been a great conversation, and as we as we start to get towards the end here, uh, there, there's I, I'm wondering if we could just just quickly go around, and as we are closing out, if there's one thing that you want to leave with the listeners of this uh, episode, uh, you know, by now, you know, I've already said it earlier, right? I, I'm sure they've already clicked purchase, and and Amazon is droning the books out to houses all over the country. Um, but if there was one thing that you want to leave the listeners with, what are those closing thoughts that you have? So I'm just going to go through my list again. Uh, Connie, Joe, TJ in that order. So uh, Connie, if you could leave them with one idea, what would that be? I think I'll, I'll circle back around to what what Joe said at the very beginning is that the inspiration for our motivation to share these thoughts was around the success that we saw people having with COVID, accomplishing things that we never thought were even possible in the education world. And so I would leave with the reflect on what you were able to accomplish during that pandemic and then have that inspiration and that motivation to apply the same tenacity toward other issues that continue to linger. This is why it's not a solution-based conversation is because it's about how we approach any problem that exists. And so I guess my final thought is reflecting on the successes that occurred during the pandemic and then take that same attitude and apply it to other areas that really desperately need it. Thank you, Connie. Joe? Thank you, Charles. You know, when we started, you were talking about, um, you know, purpose of this show is a lot about pushing against the negative narrative and, and just some of the thoughts and feelings towards public ed and just ed in general um, in, a, in, a, in the United States in particular. And I'll say, as I wrapped up year 26, I'm starting to feel a deep sense of urgency to get stuff done. And But it is totally about the kids. And that's why this work was so important to me, because what I did see educators really endure over COVID and through the pandemic, um, and even what I would say is the dual pandemics and, and the racial injustice we experienced as well. You know, I saw educators, you know, across, especially in my district, but across the state and other states, really just bear down and get things done. And I think that love for kids was so evident in so many ways. And I think that is so telling about why people go into this profession and what we can do. So that what I would love to leave people with, it's that we have to just really attack all of these issues, you know, with that sense of urgency, with the belief that we can solve them. And as I'm, you know, you know, getting up there in my career, I'm just starting to fear like that I won't solve some of these things in time, even in my own district. And I can tell you that's something like my my close team talks about frequently. How do we empower those in the classrooms every day working with kids to ensure they're successful and how they can learn? So, you know, that urgency is critical right now for me. Thank you, Joe. 
Yeah, I would just build on what Connie and Joe said and just say to school leaders listening right now, the counter narrative of what's in your mind, I think what happens in schools and in classrooms even is that we become silos. And I'm here to tell folks that you're not alone. There's a whole network of people out there. There are podcasts like this one. There are people doing good work and you're not alone. And so the minute you feel lonely as a leader and it can feel lonely, um, you need to reach out to a network. You need to find a podcast to listen to. You need to find a leadership book uh, that's going to help you see things differently. And in particular, it's important, I think, for educational leaders to look outside of education and find the stories from business that made a change in the way that they operated um, a complete pivot so that they could survive, because that's what we're going to need to do with a lot of these big problems we have in, in our profession. TJ, thank you. You know, it's one of the things I say all the time, you know, that, you know, leadership is lonely. People say that all the time. And I'm like, that's true if you're doing it wrong. So, uh, you know, we, we just talked about the fact that, you know, being in this space together with one another, you know, to your point, there, there's no reason why we cannot connect, uh, why we cannot uh, find other leaders. And so I, I am honored to been able to be connected with three amazing leaders today. And, and I really hope that, you know, our connections and an opportunity to, to work together, or at least to inspire one another, you know, goes well beyond this show. So thank you for being here. Um, so I, I know that there's listeners who feel the exact same way that I do. And, and so I just want to, as we close out here, just if you could let them know, where can they find you? I, I'm assuming the book is available on Amazon. I've been saying Amazon, so I do apologize if it's not there. Uh, but, you know, where they can purchase the book. But more importantly, where can they get connected with you and all of the other things that you do? Because I know that each of you, you know, you, you have an array of things happening beyond this book as well. We're all waiting for somebody else to start. Yeah, I, I, I can start with that. Um, Corwin would be the other um, that other place to go. That's our publisher. And right now, um, Charles, if they go on and use the code SAVE22, they'll get a discount and free shipping. So they could do that. So Amazon and Corwin, but Corwin, they can definitely get the discount. And you can find me probably the easiest uh, two ways at, on Twitter. At soup underscore Jones, S-U-P-T underscore Jones, Superintendent Jones. And then TJ and I, our website is the schoolhouse302.com, which we have tons of free resources um, for leaders, for school leaders. It's designed really to give back. And so that we have different mediums that we use to, to put out our content. But um, those are the two for, for me. All right. Thank you. Uh, TJ, what about you, sir? Yeah, folks can find me on Twitter at TJ Very, my name, T-J-V-A-R-I, at TJ Very. Of course, you can look me up on LinkedIn as well. I'm pretty active there. And like Joe said, the schoolhouse302.com, it's easy to subscribe. We put out new content every week and uh, our, our audience uh, really digs into leading better and growing faster with that, with that content. So the schoolhouse302.com. And for me, the, my Twitter handle is at Connie Hamilton, and my website is ConnieHamilton.net. Super easy to remember. Yeah, I was going to say, that's, that's pretty straightforward. And uh, Connie, I will be in your area, uh, in, in Western Michigan, in about a month. We're uh, going up there for my wife's birthday. It's a great place. It's beautiful. Where are you headed? Uh, probably to St. Joseph for the, uh, you know, the winery area, you know, just to enjoy mm -hmm. some time together. Yeah, this is a great time of year for it. Well, I, I just want to say thank you to all of you for being here. Not not just for being here and being on the show. Of course, I, I appreciate that. Uh, but thank you so much for the work that you're doing, especially in the realm of leadership. Uh, we need individuals like you. I am probably going to be tapping into you guys uh, to get onto the uh, inside the principal's office as we talk about leadership in that space as well, because each of you are a wealth of knowledge. So just thank you so much for impacting education in such a positive way. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Back at you. 
Agreed. Thanks for having us on the show. This has been a terrific conversation. Thank you, Charles. As always. And uh, listeners, I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Until then. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at The CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.